0: Speak to us individually and as a church family, that we might hear you speaking to our hearts and about our lives, about who you are, what you have done, and what you long to do in us and through us, through the grace and peace of Jesus that you offer to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series on the passages of scripture that are really pointed to in the stained glass windows at the top of the sanctuary the sides the first part of it was on the the stained glass that depicts the creation and we looked at the amazing God of creation and the amazing us as the amazing creation of God and then we also looked at the blessing of creation the Sabbath that God gave us as a symbol of the relationship that he longs to have with each one of us, that he created before there was ever sin that entered the world. And we discovered at the end of the message last week that God rested from all he had made because he was refreshed. Remember that, those of you who are here? We talked about the fact that the God of the universe is refreshed when we spend time with him. I had two or three or four of you say to me last week at the end, I had never thought about the fact that my worship could refresh God. If you don't believe me, turn to Exodus 31, verse 17. You can reread it for yourself. And so this morning, as we refresh God and he refreshes us, we are now moving and started to a little bit in the sermon last week to the second stained glass window, the one about what is called the story of the fall or the story of how sin entered this world and how sin entered the world is at, at one and the same time something that we we kind of get and we kind of understand and at the same time it is a mystery it cannot be fully explained can it before we get into the the actual message I just wanna ask a couple people to come up and help me out and that's Joseph, Pastor Josie and, and Nikki and I've got something I want to give to them I want I want to give them something and here this is for you and this is for you and I want them to compare what they have and I want them to tell me that's okay just it'll be alright I'll walk over it Okay. I want them to tell me which one of them has the real quarter which one has the real quarter so I guess i I'll start with Josie first. As you look at yours and you look at hers, which one of you has the true quarter?
1: Um, that would be me.
0: Why do you think you have the real quarter?
1: Well, I um, have the real quarter. First of all, um, I've lived longer than Nikki, and, and I know a little bit more. Therefore, because um, the the head here is the head of George Washington, who you know, kind of led the Revolutionary War and, and made uh, the United States the United States and it says quarter dollar on it actually and um, yeah. so for that reason mine is the, the real quarter.
0: What do you think Nikki?
1: Well, uh, I might be younger
2: but maybe a little more wiser because this is obviously the quarter it has Indiana which is one of our states and it was founded in 1816 which it says right here. And it also has a race car on it, which I know Indianapolis 500 is race car, and that's very American. And so this is the quarter. And also it says Unum on the back, right here, and that's United States quarter.
1: Okay. Um, I, I just. Just let me let me okay. say a couple more things. Um, that's one. That's a that's a state quarter. This is the United States of America quarter here. So
2: just have to point that out. Indiana is one of the states, which is
1: a quarter, if you will, of the United <laughs> States.
2: Just a small fraction of the United States, but it is part of the whole thing, so.
1: Well, well, um, you know, this, this dates a little bit further back, and being that it is more authentic in our um, history, you know, I, I, I believe that this is the real quarter, I mean, you can clearly see, that the quarter on the left is the real quarter. Okay.
0: All right. I, I, is there any way we might get you two to resolve this, or are you stuck in your positions? No.
1: no. Um, the, the only way we can resolve this is if um, Mickey comes into the light to realize what real
2: quarters look like. And Josie needs to see that this is the quarter. First of all, it's very shiny, and it has Indiana, the, the shape of the state. Yes. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you very much, and I'll have my quarters back. (laughs) Cheap labor. We'll come back to that illustration in a little bit. We read, in Genesis 3 was read to us, the story of the fall. And I'm not going to take the time at the present time to go back and read that very familiar story. You remember in Genesis 2, God had warned them that there were two trees in the garden. One they must eat from in order to live, the tree of life. And the other they must stay away from and not eat from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For the day they should eat from it, they would what? Die. In, in, in Hebrew it says, and in dying they will die. And we know the story how... They were in the garden and the satan tempted first eve to eat from the fruit often referred to as an apple although the bible doesn't call it that and then she ate from it and then she showed it to her husband and he ate from it and then they realized what they had done and so they went and made fig leaves garments for themselves because they recognized they were naked and were ashamed and then, and then what they did was that they uh, hid, hoping God wouldn't find them. Kind of a useless thought, wasn't it? Last week we looked at uh, this overhead in which we saw that when God created the Sabbath, that he rested on that Sabbath day to be with them. He blessed the Sabbath day to bless the Sabbath and them and to value them. And he set it apart from the other days of the week, and he set them apart for himself, which is what he does for us. And that when sin entered, when they ate and went against God and rebelled, that uh, not only did they uh, experience fear and experience shame and experience blame, as they blamed each other and God, but the results were that they were now to toil in their labor, both physically and often they would try to toil spiritually in their own work instead of in the work of God. They would experience the curse of sin in all its forms. The earth would bring forth thistles and thorns, and and uh, women would have pain in childbirth, and we would experience death and sin and and illness and all kinds of curses that sin brought with it. And ultimately we would experience separation both from God and from each other. Those were the results of sin, right? Now the question then becomes what really is sin? If when Adam and Eve fell they brought sin to us, what is sin? And the the usual often used definition of sin is that sin is the transgression of the law according to the epistle of John, and I don't deny that. Sin is when we go against what God says we should do or don't do what he says we should do. Or when he tells us not to do something, we do it anyway. That's sin. And there's all kinds of truths to that, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that not true? You don't have to admit it. I know it's true. I know it's true for me, and I know it's true for you, because I know you live on this planet, and I know that sin has entered this planet. But if that is not the only definition of sin to be found in the Bible. There are different words for sin, and they mean different things, but one of the definitions of sin to be found in the Bible is sin is missing the mark. That's the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek. It means we fall short of that which God wants for us and has in mind for us. It means that we are living lives with a sinful nature, separated from God. And we sin because we are sinners— And then we are sinners because we sin. Do you get my point? I would like to turn for a few moments to a passage in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. In Romans 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul is trying to show how Jesus Christ could die on a cross to become our Savior and how that sin and that death for our sin, not that sin, that death for our sin, could be effective for us. And to do that, he tries to get those he's writing to and those who read it, including you and me, to see that Jesus is the second Adam. He is the second Adam, and as the second Adam, whereas the first Adam sinned and the results of that sin affected all of us, affected the many, so Christ as the second Adam lived a perfect life, and his life and his death affect us too, or can at least. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, in some ways, that's kind of a hard concept to wrap our minds around. So I I looked at a couple of uh, modern translations to see if, if that might be easier to grasp it. The New Living Translation says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous and there's a translation I don't use real often but sometimes when it's good it's really good and this is one of those times it's the message Bible here it is in a nutshell just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death another person did it right and got us out of it but more than just getting us out of trouble he got us into life One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. That's called justification. You see, when Adam and Eve fell, what they did did not just affect them and them alone. It would affect every person who would be born. The effects of sin on our bodies would be evident the effects of sin in this world would be evident. And on top of that, we would receive a sinful nature. All but one, Jesus. Let me read some quotations and you'll understand why I say that. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 53. The angels warned them, Adam and Eve, to be on their guard against the devices of Satan, for his efforts to ensnare them would be unwearied. While they were obedient to God, the evil one could not harm them, for if need be, every angel in heaven would be sent to their help. If they steadfastly repelled his first insinuations, they would be as secure as the heavenly messengers. But should they once yield to temptation their nature would become so depraved that in themselves they would have no power and no disposition to resist Satan. A second statement. I think I bypassed one. No, I didn't. There there it is. The second statement I want to read. Page 62 from Steps to Christ. It was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. But he failed to do this, and because of his sin, our natures are fallen, and we cannot make ourselves righteous. Cannot. We must be born again. There are some who believe that when children come into this world, they come into this world innocent. You've said it yourselves as you've stood beside the crib of your child who's sleeping and you just say, what an innocent little baby. Isn't that precious? We, we like to think that they come into this world innocent. And there are those who say that, that their sin's not really recorded against them, that they can't really sin until the age of accountability. Let me just point out two things that, from experience that you may have recognized. First of all, I don't know a single child that ha- does not have to be taught to share. Do you? Do you know any child that automatically just shares whatever they have because they're so good and they're so wonderful, they want others to have what they have? How many of you as parents spent time and time again telling your kids, you need to learn how to share? And when they do things that are wrong, y- you try and teach them that they need to say they're sorry. Sorry. And I read on the internet this week that a psychologist said you should never teach your children to say they're sorry. They can't handle that. And I disagree. I think we're supposed to teach them that. There's another experience children have. Any of you ever have to discipline your child before the age of 12? If we aren't responsible for our sins before the age of 12, then you do something God doesn't do if you discipline your children, because you believe they know right from wrong. You believe that they knew when you told them, do not lie, that they understood they should not tell that lie. And you know they knew it was wrong because they went and hid from you when they found out you knew. Or might know. Or was I the only kid who did that? See, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, that selfish sinful nature did not just stay with them it was passed on to every person but one because we are told that Jesus didn't just die for the forgiveness of our sins but he died so that our nature could be sanctified and made right and beautified and made fit for the presence of God And so God has a problem Adam and Eve sins. And sin's going to be passed on through all the centuries of earth's history. Our story is we are fallen. His story is he is holy. Our story is we are sinners. His story is that he is righteous. Our story is that there's nothing we can do to change ourselves. His story is that he's the unchangeable God of love and he'll do everything to change us. How do I know that? We know that from the very beginning when Adam and Eve first fell. They're hiding in the far, farthest recesses of the garden, as far away from God as they can get. And Scripture says they hear God coming. They hear him walking. I don't know if he's breaking twigs or what. But they hear him coming. Maybe he's shouting their name. I think that was probably it. Adam and Eve, where are you? No one's invented hide and seek yet. Where are you? And he finds them. He said, we're we're hiding, we're afraid. Why are you afraid? Well, we kind of took a peek and we noticed we're we're naked and so we're ashamed. Who told you, have you eaten from the fruit? Did you notice that before Adam and Eve could figure out what to do, God was already in action? Did you notice that God came searching for them before they could ever even think of searching for him? Did you notice that it was God who took the first step and the second step and many, many steps to find them before they ever recognized they were lost and needed to be found? Did you notice that at the very beginning of this problem of sin in the world, God is always, always the God who searches to find those who need to be found? Did you notice that? That is the basis of our response to him. We love him because he first loved us. We seek him only after we realize that he's been seeking us. In the story of the fall, we see a motif in Scripture that we never, ever, ever should lose sight of and that above all and beyond all, God is the God who searches. For those who've rebelled against him, and knew it for those who were going away from him and didn't know it for those who thought they were okay and weren't God is the God who searches not just once not just twice but many 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 times you know the Bible story the Bible's filled with stories of God searching for people Who are hiding out in one form or another. He sought out Adam and Eve hiding in the depths of the garden. He sought out Jacob, who was running away from home after relying on his deception to try and fulfill God's promises to him, and he's running for his very life from his brother. And God comes through angels climbing up and down a heavenly stairway. God searches for Moses hiding from Pharaoh and his people in the desert, and he finds Moses by lighting up a bush on fire that doesn't go out. God searches for David in his palace trying to hide his sin with Bathsheba and his sin of of killing her husband Uriah by proxy. And he sends a prophet, Nathan, to stand there and to tell him in private, you are the man. God's searching because he doesn't like it when his children are lost. God sends an angel to Elijah in the wilderness when he's filled with depression and doubt and tells him to stand at the entrance to the cave and, and to look out and he finally hears God speaking to him once again in a still, small voice. God searches for the good and wicked kings of Judah and Israel when over and over again they're taking Israel, the Israelites into captivity and, and leading them to worship false gods. And he loves them so much and he, he is so intent on his search that he asked a prophet, Hosea, to go and marry a prostitute, a religious prostitute, not once, not two, but three times. Didn't ask him three times, he told him to do it three times. He does it as a symbol of the fact that he wants Israel to know that he doesn't give up on them easily, nor does he give up on you and me easily. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? God is the searching God. We know that to be true because he sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost. And when Jesus was on this earth, he, in his teaching, he told parables of the lost, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost sons. He performed miracles in which he, he healed those who were hopeless and thought they were out of God's favor because he wanted to get their attention. He had meetings and interactions with those who were the outcasts of society because he wanted them to know that they weren't beyond his reach either. He sent the Holy Spirit to fall on people from all nations because he wasn't willing to just be satisfied with one nation and one people only. The searching God of the Bible sent a message to Saul who was hell-bent to enforce truth on others but he didn't know the one who was the truth. Throughout the centuries, God sent the message to people like Luther and Wesley that they were not beyond his reach. God has been searching throughout the history of this world, ever since sin entered, He's been searching to let people know his love is greater than our sin. He's been searching to let people know that there is nothing they could ever do to make him stop loving us. He's been searching because he is not complete without us. That's the kind of God we find in the garden. That's the kind of God we find with Israelites in the wilderness. That's the kind of God we find in Bethlehem. That's the kind of God we find in the ministry of Jesus. That's the kind of God we find in the history of the church. And that's the kind of God who's coming back because you and I have been found. And the sad thing is, sometimes in the church, We're often like Nikki and Josie this morning. We look at different aspects of God and His Word and different truths about God and His Word and we hold them in our hands and we say, this is the way, this is the way it is, this is the way it must be, and we're looking at only one side when many times there's two sides to a coin. There is the side of sin that says sin is what you do. There is the side of sin that says sin is who you are that makes you into a sinner who does wrong things. There is the side of God who says, I am seeking and saving. I will save anyone who comes to me. There is also the side that says, only those who accept will receive it. There's the side of the coin that says, of of God's word that says, I am searching. I want all to be saved. There's the side that says, there will be some who will be lost but it's the same coin. Aren't you grateful for the God who searches? Aren't you grateful for the God who searches not once or twice, but sometimes over and over again in our lives? And while we are to seek God, that's one side of the coin. We only seek him after he searches for us. That's the other. And so, I got carried away and forgot to show you the picture. Sorry about that. And so, this morning, it is with, I don't know what kind of emotion I I feel. It is with the greatest of assurance. It is with the greatest of hope. It, It is with deep down joy that I want you to know that the God of heaven is the God who searches. And I don't know where you're at this morning. You may have been a member of the church for years and you still don't know that you have the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's searching for you. You may be wondering, who is this God anyway? Do I really believe in him? Can I know him? Can he handle my doubts? If I, if I ask questions about the Bible or ask questions about who he is, will he, will he zap me for it? You are in good company because you are among those whom God sought out when we still had doubts. I was one of them. I don't know if you're someone who's just been growing with Christ day by day. And somewhere along the way, you slept a little bit, and you're wondering, will he still call me? And this morning, I want to reassure you that we worship the God who searches, who doesn't give up on us easily. Why? Why? In the book of Hosea, the 12th chapter, the 11th chapter, Hosea depicts God, and God tells Hosea to depict him this way, as someone who bends over a child and holds onto a child who's learning to walk and puts a rope around them so that they can be there to train them and to help them and to to enable them to walk so that they can grow up to fulfill that which the, the parent wanted them to fulfill. He's a parent watching over us, watching our every step, encouraging us to grow and to know and to love Him because of His great love for us. Wherever you might be this morning in your relationship with God, know this: The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. the God of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ Himself. The Holy Spirit who is set here as His ambassador, they are here to search for and to seek out you and me so that we can be restored to rest, so that we can be blessed, and so that we can set apart to experience that relationship with him which he gave us in the beginning. Won't you accept his love for you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a searching God. We honor and praise you for that. Be with us, I pray, as we leave this place. May we have your character and may we seek to be searching for those that you are searching for too. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I leave the platform, three brief announcements.